Welcome to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Your host, Jesse Jameson, has a real treat for you. You are about to hear a great story. And if Jesse brings his A-game, some good commentary too. And later on, we'll let you know how you can join Jesse as a guest. Now, without further ado, here's Jesse. Welcome back to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Today's friend is Chris. Chris is from Phoenix. And his story that he'll be sharing is Get Out of My Closet, Dad. Chris, thank you for joining us. The floor is yours. Thanks, Jesse. Uh, so um, my story is about what it's like to grow up in an evangelical house um, as, a, as a gay person. And uh, so I kind of understood that there was something different about me uh, at a young age. Um, around three or four years old, I remember playing with uh, my Incredible Hulk action figure and having sort of an odd attraction to it, even back then, uh, versus, say, my, uh, you know, the, any, like, Barbie dolls that were around. There was just a difference in attraction to, to that form. And uh, even in kindergarten, there were, um, there were other, other boys that I really wanted to be really good friends with, um, more than, more so than with girls. Um, and it, it was, it was kind of an, an odd attraction. And I knew I was different even back then, just based off of how I interacted with whether other boys versus girls. So, um, I found out what gay was, uh, one day when I was walking home, when I, when I walked home from school, um, uh, in kindergarten and, uh, hung out with my mom watching Phil Donahue, which is a, uh, old early eighties talk show. And, uh, the subject of this particular show was um, homosexuality. And they had these two gay men up on stage in front of this big audience. And uh, the people in the audience just tore these men apart. And, and Phil Donahue explained that what gay was and that they were you know, men who were attracted to other men. And, and then I realized that you know, that, that was me. And, uh, and I realized I could never ever, ever tell anybody about that. Um, based off of how the audience reacted. So um, I grew up in a very Christian home. My mother actually divorced my, my natural father because he wasn't Christian enough. Um, so they got divorced and she married my stepdad two weeks later. Um, she met him at church and uh, he was in the Air Force and uh, stationed at Luke Air Force Base. He had a couple kids of his own. My mom had me and my brother from her two marriages. And um, they got married, and they had a little girl. So there was a total of five kids. And um, yeah. Well, you said that you do. You, do you remember your, living with your um, your father before the? Divorce? I have. I have very brief, uh, very small, just little pictures of of living with him, um, watching cartoons, uh, riding the bus uh, to the store with him. Um, at that point, I think when I lived in, in, at Luke, I got weekends with him. So I just have very, very um, brief memories of him, but that um, not very much. Sometimes little boys are very protective of their mom when like the new boyfriend comes around or what have you. Mm. All of a sudden you have a situation yeah. where this strange man is basically living with you, I'm assuming, since they got married 10 yeah. days later, right? Was there any yeah. shock there or were you too young to have the anger thoughts or their, you know, protectiveness of your mom? I, was, I wasn't overly protective of, of my mom for marrying a new guy. I was a little bit in shock from suddenly having um, three older brothers instead of 
just my older brother. So um, I think that was a little more shocking. I think I was a bit too young to really understand the parental part of it. I was just in a new home suddenly with a bunch of other kids is sort of how, how it played out. So um, once we were at Luke Air Force Base, um, my uh, stepdad got transferred to Ramstein, Germany. And um, eventually we ended up living in Langley, Virginia as well. Uh, so we, uh, we were very evangelical. My parents uh, went to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday nights, um, sometimes even a fourth night if there was some sort of special event. And uh, they, were, um, they were big believers in speaking in tongues, um, which is, uh, for evangelicals, it's a thing where God can inhabit you uh, with his spirit and you begin speaking in a language that's specifically yours. Uh, and, uh, you would, you would do that and as a form of prayer. And so, uh, our parents very much like to show us off at church about, and, um, sort of displaying how, um, on fire for God we were. Um, I sort of knew I was gay by then, but didn't really want to be. So, and I knew that conflicted with what the church was teaching. So I didn't really have full buy-in really at all with what the church was teaching because I knew it didn't jive with, with what I was. And so everything else that it taught just sort of went by the wayside. Um, but we certainly had to go to church and, and perform and speak in tongues. And I had to, you know, certainly pretend uh, to, you know, to participate in the, in the belief system that they had, or, you know, we'd get in trouble at home if we didn't. You know, if we didn't stand up and worship and raise our hands and stuff like that, you know, we got in trouble. But uh, so um, at some point after after a while, when I became a teenager, I started to get really depressed about the, the whole gay thing. I didn't want to be gay. Um, I was bullied a lot in high school. I was actually throughout school in general. Um, I was kind of effeminate and I couldn't help it. Um, the, the more I tried to not be effeminate, the more obvious it was that I was gay. Um, and it wasn't exactly a thing I could control. Um, you know, so, it's, it's, it's interesting that you say that because I went to, um, I went to high school at a place called Greenway High School in Phoenix, Arizona. And I just don't really remember too much gay anything i felt like everybody was pretty straight laced and so the whole gay thing kind of is shocking to me i would be shocked to find out what high school you went to because where i went to there were no bullies and to my knowledge there were no gay kids either what high school did you go to i went to greenway high school <laughs> <laughs> Oddly enough. What okay, so so, so did, did did you get bullied in without naming names, did you get bullied pretty hardcore at Greenway? Because I saw you here and there at Greenway. You always seem like a really nice kid and I would have pegged you more for maybe a, a nerdy one rather than, you know, a, a, a gay student. Sure. Um I think I was I was I, I would say I proudly just as nerdy as I was gay, sure. <laughs> but uh yeah, I I, I got bullied daily um in particular there was one day where i was in pe class and we were we had to take mandatory showers after after class and uh we were in the shower and there was two two guys that that um kind of cornered me in the shower while i was naked and and beat me in the face until i said that i was a faggot which was pretty humiliating um i've been bullied a lot and i knew that that was just sort of part of the high school experience but that sort of felt like a 
um, something that crossed a line really bad. So I, I thought it was probably a good thing to tell a coach about it. So I did, I told our coach, um, and he told me that, um, that if I wasn't so effeminate that they would leave me alone, um, which is a pretty, um, insensitive thing to say, uh, I don't think he fully understood what he was, what he's saying or by that and what that kind of meant to someone like me who couldn't control how feminine I, you know, I was, you know, acting. Um, <clears throat> so I'm sure he talked to those, those boys. Um, eventually later towards the end of the year, actually they came up to me on their own while I was sitting in the computer lab and just started profusely apologizing for it. I don't know if they just had a, a conscious thing happen with them or, if they were told they had to do that, but, um, they did. So. Hey, Chris, I'm glad that you mentioned that. And I, again, I apologize for interrupting you, but not at all. that's one of the things, that's one of those things that we don't really give people, at least in the media, we don't really give people credit for. And that's a change of heart. Yeah. You know, I'm one of the, I'm one of these guys, I have a guilty conscience. And if I say something cruel to you, it's not unusual for you to get a email or a phone call or me asking you, you know, if you want to go to lunch three or four months later, because, you know, it was, it was itching at me yeah, and I yeah. didn't like it. Yeah. <clears throat> and sometimes people genuinely do have that, you know, um, I, I like to think that a lot of us have that. So good for them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, continue with your story. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, just to, to continue on, you know, I, I got through high school and, um, you know, started, you know, just working full time. I worked at a movie theater and uh, eventually the, the expectation of growing up and, you know, what comes next after school starts to eat at you. And that involves getting married and having kids and things like that, which for me was terrifying because I, I don't want to get married to a woman. I wasn't, I didn't want to have kids. You know, and that's kind of what's expected of you. So um, I decided at one point to tell someone at my church, I told one of the pastors, that I, uh, that I wasn't attracted to girls. I didn't really tell him I was gay because I hadn't actually ever been with a man or anything like that before. Um, so I, I mean, I wasn't c completely sure that I couldn't change either because, because I, because I didn't want to be gay at the time. Um, so I was, you know, sort of weighing out my options. How old were you at that time, Chris? How old were you I was, that, that day? I was, I was, uh, 18 when that happened. <clears throat> when had was, you, had you dated a girl at that time? So you hadn't been with a man. Had you been with a woman? Um, I had dated briefly in high school, one girl, but nothing serious. So I did end up dating girls a little bit later on, which is part of the conversion therapy I had to go through, which um, was actually part of the consequence of telling my pastor. <clears throat> so I went up to him one Sunday and I told him um, after church was over and um, I told him I wasn't into girls. And, and he pulled out a business card for this um, uh, ministry called his image ministry. <clears throat> um, which basically was a, a play on words, meaning that uh, gay men should be in the image of God. So that's in sense his image um, and God would never be gay, of course. <laughs> so they were there to teach you how to be straight. So I ended up um, taking that business card. The pastor told my parents and as a condition of staying, um, living with my mom and my stepdad, I had to go to conversion, conversion therapy. So they were pretty proud of themselves for not kicking me out of the house. Um, <laughs> which is kind of ridiculous, but, um, so I ended up going and, um, conversion therapy basically consisted of me sitting with a, a, a male counselor who, you know, on the first day pretty much told me, uh, you will likely always be gay. There's nothing you can do about it. 
Um, we'll try and make you not gay, but um, you know, when people are gay, usually they're just gay. Uh, and you're not responsible for that, but you are responsible for what you do. So you could never be with a man. You can't, you, you, uh, this is just how life is for you. So, um, when you're, when you're in one of these sessions, is it a one-on-one -on -one or is it a group session? Because my thinking is if you're a gay human being mm -hmm. and you're in this conversion therapy and let's say there's 15 or 20 other gay human beings that are trying to fight this, uh, natural feeling they have, right? Isn't that kind of like a perfect place to hook up or meet <laughs> other yeah, other people yeah. that don't necessarily want the world knowing their right. business or whatever, you, you know? I mean, you would think, but uh, this, um, it was actually just one, me and one-on-one -on -one with a counselor who, um, you know, confided to me that he had struggles of his own, which qualified him to talk about, them, you know, to, to be a, um, a therapist. There um, certainly are um, more uh, um, collaborative camps out there, um, which I'll talk a little bit about later, but... Um, my particular situation was just a, with one, one Christian counselor who somehow also had the authority to, to write prescriptions. And so he put me on Prozac. Um, so I got medicated, which I didn't, I mean, I was depressed, but I don't, I don't think that was necessarily, you know, a good thing because it kind of messed me up. Um, so the other part of the therapy, um, you know, to attempt to, to, you know, change my, um, you know, my, my constitution as a, as a gay person, uh, was to, uh, go and make straight friends. And that, you know, was just basically under the, under the theory that, you know, the reason I was gay is because, you know, I didn't have enough male friends in my life who are heteronormative. And so I need that influence. And so, um, you know, he told me to go make straight friends, which is kind of funny because most of us just make friends naturally. And most of them are going to be straight, but I went out and, and did that and, uh, tried to hang out with the most hyper-masculine heteronormative men I could. <laughs> And I fell in love with one of them, which was terrible. Um, and of course, that's going to happen, um, which only just kind of further like reinforced that, you know, I was gay. Horrible, horrible question here, but I always wonder. So, you know, when you're 9, 10, 11 years old, you're usually spending the night at buddies' houses. They're usually spending the night at yours. Was there ever any, you know... Um, you know, where you had a crush on, on maybe a buddy that was spending the night back then even, did you know, or did you not really have uh, that situation? Because I know some religious families, you can never spend the night at their house or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, so we certainly had like um, family friends come over and spend the night and like, you know, there was, there was like um, one or two kids my age that were church people that I certainly was attracted to, but um, never was, never was friends with, you know, never engaged beyond you know, wholesome Christian interactions, but certainly, yeah. Um, uh, so the, for the conversion there, the other part of it was that, you know, you got to control your thoughts and think of a lot about not being gay, uh, which you've been, I've been doing my entire life. So um, there, there's, there's that. And then of course there's, you know, dating girls. And so I was told that I needed to, uh, to find a girl to date, which I did. And um, luckily I found the most wholesome Christian girl who was waiting for marriage uh, so I didn't have to do anything with her, uh, but I didn't have to like, you know, make out with her and stuff, which sucked. Um, cause you know, if you're not attracted to someone and you're forced to make out with them, it's, it's a, it's a bit weird. It would be really no different than, you know, a straight guy being told he has to make out with another 
guy um, that might be kind of gross and traumatizing for them. That's kind of how it felt for me. Um, and, uh, you know, if, barring that, if that doesn't work, the, the rest of the therapy basically said that uh, you would need to take God as a spouse if that didn't work, meaning be celibate for the rest of your life, you know, maybe become like a, a minister or something like that, or a priest or, or, or something. Um, but, you know, basically that seems very, that seems very unfair because when you're a young guy, you know, you're so jazzed to be with, you know, somebody you're attracted to all the time. We uh, are going to be taking a quick break here. Uh, if you're just tuning in, uh, Chris is giving us uh, the rundown on what his childhood was like and, and, and early adulthood. Chris, uh, you mentioned that you were an incredible Hulk fan. Uh, before we go to break, I just got to confirm something. I loved He-Man. <laughs> Did you love He-Man too? I'd imagine because of the muscles and sure, stuff. Sure, but I mean, isn't He-Man also a little gay too? <laughs> he probably right. is, but once again, when I was little, I wasn't thinking like that, yeah. you know? But uh, we'll, we'll be right back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Would you like to host your own radio show? Jesse Jameson is an executive producer with the Voice America Talk Radio Network, the leader in live and on-demand internet talk radio. Jesse serves as executive producer to over a dozen shows on our network. If you'd like to connect with Jesse to be a guest on a show, do some advertising, or even want to talk about hosting your very own show, give him a call at 480-553-5719 or email him at jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's 480-553-5719 or email jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Thanks for tuning in to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Do you have a super short story that you'd like to have Jesse read on the show? Simply email him. You ready? It's jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. And who knows? Jesse might just read your short story on a future show. And now, back to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Welcome back to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Today's friend is Chris. Chris, before we went on break, you were talking a little bit about how you went into gay conversion therapy. You're around age 18, so now you're no longer a boy. You're kind of your first couple years of being a man. Please continue your story. Sure, uh, absolutely. So um, after about six months of conversion therapy, um, I think I turned 19 uh, over, over the course of that. Uh, I, I, the depression got really, really bad. And uh, uh, I was working at a movie theater at the time. And um, I was doing a lot of weird things, like just like literally praying incessantly up, up in the foot in the, in the projection booth, praying to God over and over and over. And, asking him to change me and uh, thinking a lot about suicide. Um, I, you know, I, I wondered if I jumped off that building, if it would be high enough to kill me. 
Um, or, you know, I had a manager who had a gun in her glove compartment in our car that I saw. And uh, I kind of, kind of contemplated stealing her keys maybe to see if I could get access to it. Um, but uh, what I ended up doing was one day I ended up taking all the Xanax I had at home. And uh, I just hit a breaking point to where I was so miserable that just being awake was, was kind of torture. So wait a minute. And I apologize for laughing, but I got to say, could you imagine if you went up to somebody and you said, Hey, uh, are you pro gun or whatever? And they said, no, I am anti-gun, but I have good reason. One of the times, oh. one of, one of, one of, uh, back in the day, one of my employees broke into my car, killed himself with my gun. If you would have done yeah. that, Chris, you would have ruined yeah. that person's life forever. Yeah. Oh my, yeah. but I'm, I'm glad yeah. that you mentioned that though. That is kind of an interesting, cause that's almost a little demented there, right? you you're kind of yeah. adding well, something to, you're to trying your- to- I was trying to find a sure way just to, just to end it. And uh, I mean, I certainly would have felt bad for using her gun without permission, <laughs> you know? <clears throat> so yeah, I, I uh, ended up taking a whole lot of Xanax, which kind of knocked me out. And uh, I got rushed to the hospital. They made me drink a bunch of charcoal and uh, that nullifies the, the, uh, the effects of the medication. <clears throat> um <clears throat> And so I ended up moving out of my house that night after I got home from the hospital. I had some really good friends that worked at the movie theater with me that sort of knew what was happening in my house. Um, we, there, was a, there was a lot of abuse um, that happened and they kind of knew the backstory. And so they were sort of there to help me get out of there. And um, so I moved out that night. Uh, I stole my stepdad's gas card from mobile and uh, moved out with a few trash bags. And I ate on that gas card, just junk food from gas stations for, for like uh, a month. And then um, uh, eventually that got cut off. And um, I was homeless for about two and a half years, sleeping on couches with my friend, you know, at friends' houses. Um, I uh, was just speaking to another friend um, who had told me that he had dealt with homelessness too. And I'm sorry that you had mm-hmm. to deal with that. I guess better to deal with it when yeah. you're young and you can still recover, uh, you know, as opposed to, you know, when you're getting older. What's interesting yeah. is my first job was at the movie theater uh, right there. I think it was called Super Saver Cinema. That wasn't your first job. Oh yeah. Oh my God, that is crazy. Yeah. So we, so we had yeah. parallel lives where I just went like, you know, the straight path and you went the gay path, right? But <laughs> our, our lives are parallel, yeah. right? Yeah, a little uh, bit. Yeah, yeah. But that was a great first yeah. job. They they gave you free free movies and all the popcorn that you could eat as long as the uh, movie wasn't sold out. So that was another place. Absolutely. You have something in common. Please continue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a great first job for sure. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, I was, I was, I, I, I moved out and I, I was homeless for a while. Um, what was unfortunate is I grew up in the military and I, one of the options that my brothers did um, when they moved out of the house uh, because it was an abusive household is as soon as they turned 18, they went and joined the air force um, because they could get supported and things like that. Um, When this was going on with me, they didn't allow gays in the military. So that wasn't an option for me. Um, It is now for other people, but um, it was just an interesting thing that there, there was like this lifeline kind of just hanging out right outside of reach that I could have had, but I just didn't because there was, you know, some, some, you know, bigotry in our politics that prevented that. Um, but eventually, I you know I got my, my um, life together and I was able to support myself. And, um, you know, I started dating actually when I was 24 or 25. I just took a long time to, to begin doing that. And I met my husband when I was 26 and we have been together for 17 years. 
Um, where'd you Where'd you two meet? And 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 how, is he similar to you, where he's always got weights in his hands working out, or, <laughs> or is he the skinny what? to your thickness? You're huge now, by the way. In case uh, friends are trying to de decipher who Chris is, he looks completely different to me. He looks like he ate the Chris from high school. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that was certainly the intention. I, I, uh, I definitely, you know, honestly, I went to the gym when I, when I, I, I became an adult because, um, and had access to a gym because it made me feel safer from being bullied being bigger. People just don't naturally want to bully you. And I think that's just sort of the mindset I took when I started going to the gym. Um, I met my husband at a, at a, at a, a friend's mutual friend's party. And, um, he typically doesn't have weights in his hands, but he does have drumsticks. He's a drummer. And, um, uh, we met because I play a little guitar and he played drums and we kind of use it as an excuse to sort of hang out with each other. And uh, 17 years later with three dogs and two houses, uh, we are, uh, we are still hanging out. So it was a good thing. So <clears throat> um, let me back up a little bit. In my I was story, just going to say, um, take us back to where you're 18 and 19 and you know, the title of your story is get out of my closet, dad. So yeah, I'm assuming, I'm assuming since your father, exited when you were four or five years old I'm assuming dad to you is your stepdad correct yeah he um he raised us all five of us um my 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 biological father I didn't really have too much contact with growing up um um as a kid but I did later on as an adult but um but way back in junior high um one one day my stepdad didn't come home from work and it turned out that he'd been arrested and uh, when that happened, my mom and stepdad put me and my sister, which we were the only two living at home at that point. They uh, put us in our, our in separate bedrooms and then they just had it out. They had a huge fight. And um, they uh, we were sort of I was listening to, you know, to the door through the door trying to hear what was going on. And, and I heard my stepdad say the words, my homosexuality. And uh, I wasn't really sure if I'd heard that right. Um, but it kind of clued me in that maybe my stepdad was gay or, or, or did something related to something gay or, or, or whatever. But then when we came out of our rooms, our parents had to sit us down and explain, you know, why they've been fighting and <clears throat> why dad came home late from work. And they told us that my stepdad had gone to an adult bookstore and he had been arrested. Um, and he was only there so he could witness about Jesus to uh, to to the patrons there <clears throat> and got mixed up in something. So, um, you know, that was sort of the first clue that something was was going on with him. Um, Did you immediately feel the hypocrisy and maybe even hurt? Because I assume he's part <clears throat> of the decision making with regards to let's send Chris to conversion therapy. And now. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. See, I was in junior high. So this was before that had happened. Um, so this, so I, at the time I was, I think I was, I wasn't old enough to understand if what I was, I was hearing was real or not. And kind of going through my own thing, I, you know, not wanting to be gay. I thought, well, maybe he has a problem and he's fighting it. And then I just sort of wrote it off. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, it's certainly he, um, he definitely was at the forefront of, of trying to take the gay out of me. I mean, when we were going to church and after I told, you know, the pastors and whatnot, they would have this intercessory prayer thing where they get all these pastors and men around me and they, they put their hands on my forehead and they were start yelling in tongues at the demon of homosexuality that was in me supposedly. And, um, 
and you sort of have to play along with them and you know eventually you fall down in the spirit and because you're overwhelmed or whatever um and basically you do that so i did that so they would stop you know because it was it sucked having people screaming at you like that you just reminded me of something when we were younger people my mom was addicted to watching tbn i don't know if you've ever heard of TBN. oh yeah oh yeah but when we were younger, Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, <laughs> oh, yeah. um, the Power Team, and, and they were all they, they were. Do you remember the Power Team where they would break through? Oh, logs? absolutely, absolutely. Right? But but what was weird is they were always like you know my mom at the time was like on welfare and food stamps, and you know here she is living on two three hundred dollars or whatever the government was sending her a month. And she's sending 50 bucks to Kenneth Copeland for a rag yeah. that's been anointed in oil from Magigoria. Um, yeah, but yeah. The, reason, the, re the reason I I'm glad that you had kind of got me on this tip here is that I don't think kids realize how prevalent that used to be. There used to be just a lot of people that would tune in to these televangelists and I might be wrong. They might still be doing it, but I felt like it was bigger when we were younger uh, than it sure. is now. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was definitely on in our house a lot too. Um, uh, and definitely the power team was something we watched in, in our youth group and whatever. Um, the power team being basically a bunch of bodybuilders breaking bricks and then using that as a forum to, uh, to preach. I, sure. <laughs> I mean, it's funny, but um, yeah, that was definitely prevalent in, in you know, growing up with the, uh, in my household. Um, so going back to my dad, you know, and, you know, praying and whatnot, you know, I, he, I didn't realize at the time, but he, he had been kicked out of my mom's room. They didn't sleep in the same room for like the last five years that I lived there. I didn't really ask questions why, um, but he actually slept in the same room with me. We, we had two twin beds. My stepdad just slept in that room. And, um, and I would wake up some nights after I'd come out to him and told him I wasn't the girls and he would be anointing my head in oil while I was sleeping and praying in tongues to pray out the spirit of homosexuality, um, which is a bit startling to happen at three o'clock in the morning, you know? Yeah, that um, really is. Were, were any of, you said there was five boys altogether or was it you, three boys, and then your sister? Uh, it was me, uh, three other boys and my sister. But at this point it was just me and my sister. I, all My other older brothers had moved out at this point. To your knowledge, and I'm only saying this since both you and your stepdad ended up, you know, being gay. To your knowledge, did any of the other uh, boys in the family or uncles in the family or anything, uh, are they gay as well? Not that I know. As far as I know, I'm holding the, the I'm the only one holding the flag in my family. <laughs> so, um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm the only one even in, on both sides of my family that, that, that I know of. Um, but, uh yeah, he, you know, they would, they would anoint the, the photos of me in the house um, with oil. So if you were to go into the house, maybe even now, um, you know, my forehead would be shiny because they were just praying that hard about it, you know. So, you know, eventually my sister and I um, sort of caught my dad. Uh, it first started off as just us, uh, my sister finding a, uh, a gay magazine that was, it wasn't pornography. It was just a, a you know, uh, here's a list of bars in town and here's photos of, of people drinking and having fun. Uh, my sister found that and called me and, and asked me what it was. And I knew immediately what it was. Um, and then eventually she found a duffel bag full of, um, I guess you could call it a bathhouse kit. It's a, you know, it's a duffel bag full of flip flops and 
bunch of sex toys and all kinds of stuff. She found that in the trunk of his car. And, uh, and then uh, eventually she, I kind of helped troubleshoot our way into his computer and, and we found, you know, pretty much confirmation of all we needed to know. We found photos of him having sex with dudes. And uh, that was my, that my stepdad is my sister's biological father and she had to see that. So that kind of sucked. I felt bad for her. Hindsight um, is hindsight is twenty twenty. Chris, did looking yeah, back, were there yeah. ever moments where maybe your dad was staring at at other men that you did you ever even fathom that he was gay or um, you know even after the I fact? didn't I wasn't really ever sure. I mean he uh, he certainly was a bit soft compared to my mom. My mom ruled over him. Um, you know, my dad never, you know, my dad never did anything inappropriate with me or anything like that. Um, and I never saw, saw him do anything with men, but looking back, you know, we had a babysitter come hang out with us while his parents went on vacation. Um, when we were in Germany and they, and they called him uncle Bob, I have no idea who he was, but I'm assuming that, you know, maybe he had a relationship with him. Um, and, uh, you know, you go on business trips and, you know, um, they'd be long business trips and I I'm assuming things happened during those times or whatever. So, um, but yeah, I mean, we, me, my sister and I, once we found those photos and stuff, you know, we, we, you know, we're a bit immature. We, you know, we thought maybe the best way to tell my mom was to take the contents of the duffel bag and just splay it all over her bed and have my stepdad try to explain it to her. And, and, uh, we didn't do that. Um, it, it was, and I'm glad it would have been really cruel of us. So instead she, you know, she confronted him, he denied it and they went back and forth for several weeks. And, uh, eventually my mom realized something was up with my sister and then she dug it out of her and she found out. And so my mom, I don't think she was surprised. Um, I think, you know, based off of what had happened, um, when he got arrested, I think she already knew. I found out later the reason he had been arrested was he went to the adult bookstore and he had exposed himself. And that's why he'd been arrested. So um, I don't think it was a shock to my mom, but my stepdad did go to conversion therapy and that's, he went to a group one. He went to a, uh, a camp. Um, I don't know specifically um, what they tried to teach him versus what I went through. Um, but I know he went several times. He got caught several times after I moved out by my mom and kept going back to conversion therapy. So in case you're just joining us, cause we're going to be going to break here in a minute, Chris, the uh, listeners that are just uh, tuning in, uh, basically, Chris has gone full circle here where, as a young man, he confides, and uh, I believe you said it was one of the church pastors yeah. or, or powers that be that you're feeling these feelings towards other, I assume, boys. You weren't really feeling these feelings towards older men. You're feeling them towards your peers, exactly. I'd imagine. And that, it, and that ended up getting you a one-way ticket to conversion therapy. The man that you grew up seeing as the male role model in your life was kind of an effeminate pushover type guy, but he still was basically telling you, you're going to grow up to be straight, or at least we're going to try to help you with that problem, so to speak. Come to find out he's dealing with that same problem. So we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to have one last segment with Chris.
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Would you like to host your own radio show? Jesse Jameson is an executive producer with the Voice America Talk Radio Network, the leader in live and on-demand Internet talk radio. Jesse serves as executive producer to over a dozen shows on our network. If you'd like to connect with Jesse to be a guest on a show, do some advertising, or even want to talk about hosting your very own show, give him a call at 480-553-5719 or email him at jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's 480-553-5719 or email jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Thanks for tuning in to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Do you have a super short story that you'd like to have Jesse read on the show? Simply email him. You ready? It's jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. And who knows? Jesse might just read your short story on a future show. And now, back to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Once again, welcome back to a place where you got a friend. Today's friend is Chris. Chris, um, thank you so much for coming on. I'm intrigued so much by this story. During the commercial break, in case uh, you know the people at home are listening, me and Chris were just kind of going over our parallels. Um, you know, I really feel like our our worlds did kind of parallel and cross there in a couple of moments that I didn't really yeah, ever yeah. think of till now. So I'm glad we're having this For conversation. Sure. So we just figured out that your dad, uh, your stepdad, but he's basically been the only dad you've known, is officially gay. He had a situation where he got caught exposing himself at. Uh, I have a place where I assume gay men are congregating. Um, right. He fed you an excuse, but you guys know the truth. Continue your story. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so you know, my sister and I, I, you know, again, found all that stuff and he, he got caught. So he went to conversion therapy himself and um, he went for several years while um, my mom was continued to be married to him. Um, my mom had a drinking problem. She also, um, abused op opioids, um, all the, all growing up. And, uh, she eventually passed away, uh, I think in 2006. And, uh, my dad's, my stepdad stayed married to her the entire time. And, um, um, uh, so I give him credit for that because she was handicapped. She couldn't support herself. And, um, he did raise five kids. Um, he raised five kids while being in the military where he wasn't allowed to be gay and in church where he wasn't allowed to be gay and in his marriage, obviously where he wasn't allowed to be gay. So I, um, I, I can't imagine the stress he also went through. Um, if there, if there's one thing we can say about your stepdad, it sounds like he lived a great portion of his life trying to make other people happy, living up to yes. other people's standards of what he should be. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's sort of what I, you know, I thought I was going to end up having to do. And that, that just sounded like a nightmare to me having to, to, to live his life. Um, so 
eventually my mom died and, and uh, I remember us sitting in the Mayo Clinic after uh, she had passed away. She, she passed away from liver, liver failure related to uh, her drinking. And um, we were sitting in the conference room and I just remember my stepdad sitting uh, in there with us. And, you know, there were some emotions, of course. Um, we were all crying and, and whatnot. But at one point my stepdad said, uh, now I can start my life. And uh, then he did. He, um, he quickly came out unapologetically as far as um, the way he acted. He moved, you know, some leather daddies into his house and he had fun for a while. Uh, I think he was making up for lost time. <laughs> he was kind of like a teenager for, for a bit. Um, and uh, definitely a change in personality. He was a lot more jovial and, and, and fun. Um, but uh, yeah, and eventually he ended up um, marrying uh, a man that my mom and stepdad had gone to dinner with, with this man's wife uh, 30 years earlier. Um, they had uh, known each other from Virginia and apparently they'd been in a relationship for the last 30 years off and on. And uh, so he, um, he got married to him. My husband got ordained and actually performed the ceremony for them. So ironically, my dad who put me in conversion therapy was married and it was officiated and he got married to a man officiated by my husband which is hysterical. <laughs> so, that, is um, a, that is quite the, uh, the twist. Yeah, it's a life. Yeah, life can be cyclical sometimes. Um, I don't, I definitely am not close with my stepdad. Um, we, but we don't, we don't have any animosity. I don't have any animosity towards him. Um, though I, I understand where he was coming from. Um, <clears throat> certainly the way we grew up was not ideal in, in what he did. Uh, wasn't ideal either, but you know he was also coming from a different time, and he was living in a world where he was having to be closeted all the time. Um, he still can't say the words "I'm gay." It, you can't get that out of his mouth, and I think it's just sort of muscle memory from from you know growing up and, and having to spend years watching everything that you did and having to hide all the time. So um, I certainly don't give him you know a hundred percent of the blame for that. Some of that has to do with society. Um, and I, th I think the other victim in sort of this, this story was in my, my mom or any woman or, or, or any spouse who is married to a gay person because the church may have told them that that's what they had to do. Um, my mom was not a pleasant person. She had demons of her own. Um, but I think a lot of things that she dealt with, with drug abuse and whatnot, had to do with feeling helpless, being married to a, a, a gay man and also being handicapped and not really feeling like she had options. And, uh, you know, in, in conversion therapy, when they were telling us to go date women, I don't think they thought about the women who were getting married to these gay men. Um, they don't always think about that. You know, they're just, you know, you're supposed to go marry women and have babies and, and, uh, and, and live your life. Um, I think according to what the expectation is for the people in the church, you know, you can argue whether or not it's a sin or not. And that's, you know, th that's for people who are religious to decide. But um, I think a lot of people put those expectations on gay men just feel like, you know, gay is icky, you know, and you're supposed to go make families with, you know, the opposite sex when you can go make a family with someone of the same sex. You can go adopt kids. You can go, you know, just have dogs, you know. 
Um, is, is that on is that on your horizon with you and your husband? Are you contemplating adopting kids? Are you guys happy with just the dogs? We are, we are right very now? happy with our dogs. You know, I'm 43 now. Um, I think that time has passed. I uh, if I had a kid now, I think I'd be 60 <laughs> by the time they were raised. So I uh, I never really felt like I needed to uh, to raise kids. Um, I think the closest thing that I could do to, to, you know, help helping, you know, raise kids is maybe sort of educating, you know, people who are coming out of the church in that situation and, um, you know, helping, helping them cope with the things that I, you know, had to cope with and my stepdad had to cope with. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that, that's my story. Well, there's a lot more resources now that people can reach out sure. to, you know, um, the reality is I don't think the church is really a good resource to reach out to because if the first thing on their list is conversion therapy yeah. and they want to do it with other, and they want to do it with the help of other people that are, that are dealing with that. Yeah. To me, that seems like a, a guaranteed to lose, you know, if that's your goal. Yeah. But the reality is, the reality is I think that, uh, I think God knows how he made you mm-hmm. and I don't think you can really change who you are. Yeah. And I think it would be miserable. You know, um, sometimes when we're in a relationship, whether we're straight or gay, we grow apart rather than together. Mm. And I was married for nine years and I've been divorced since 07. So I've been divorced for longer now than I was married. But, you know, sometimes you grow apart and it's just, it's really hard to to even tell people that you're going to go and get a divorce, you know? So I could not imagine, uh, you know, having to go through the process of telling people that you're gay Mm. And then on top of that, to have to deal with them trying to change you, that must have been really traumatizing. And you probably still have issues with it to this. Yeah, um, you know, there's certainly been um, challenges, um, but it's gotten easier since uh, um, the older we've gotten. I think it was two years after we graduated um, from high school that our high school ended up with with an LGBT group that you could go to just you know, for support, which shocked me because that was, I've got beat up enough as it was being in the closet. I can't imagine if I'd been out. I don't know anybody in my high school who was out. Um, But, you know, I have, we did have, we did, we, we did have that PE teacher. There was a a female PE teacher that I swear. (laughs) Tell me, you know, who I'm talking about. I don't remember her name. She she taught driver's ed too. Yeah, I know it is. Yeah, she had, I forget her name. She was very nice, but she had to have been, right? Yeah, yeah, But uh, And there's a couple of teachers who I know, I know for sure were. Um, And uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's gotten a lot easier, I think, thankfully. Um, One of my best friends came out when he was, um, he's, he's, 31, but he came out when he was 15 in school and took his boyfriend to the prom, which blows my mind. That would have been very, great. very brave. Speaking of brave, what's it like when you're at a bar or a club, you're separated from your husband and a woman comes up and maybe she's <laughs> had too many to drink. And before you know it, you're being groped by, you know, Peggy Bundy. I mean, what's, that, it, what's it like? So, so that that happens actually um i i've been groped by women and you know not necessarily drunk either um several times at bars just there's a double standard for sure uh, i've definitely had women just come up and just grab my junk or just grab onto my chest and you could never do that to a woman um but it's one because i'm gay that sometimes uh some girls think it's okay because i'm safe 
and that it's okay to do that. It's not okay. I, I, I can't stand that. Um, it's, it's, um, it's, it's not, it's not great. Uh, but that's definitely happened to me. Um, and, uh, it's, it's a weird double standard sometimes. So I gotta be honest with you. Let's talk about double standards. So let's say I'm at a bar and you know, I'm checking out the ladies and some guy were to do that to me, that would be kind of a buzzkill if you know what I mean. Sure. Is that kind of the same as for you you're sitting there looking at the, at you know maybe the yeah. handsome men right the looking guys and all of a sudden you've got this woman thing touching you <laughs> yeah 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 Wait a minute. well hopefully i mean a guy generally i don't think would do that hopefully he just walks up and asks you if you're gay and then you could politely tell him that you're not and then you guys can go on with your lives but um yeah it's 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 kind of interesting um sometimes some some girls uh think they get a free pass because you know I'm there. It's it's really it's really kind of interesting the dichotomy of um, of me being uh, a gay man, but walking into a room where uh, there's other straight men. Um, especially now that I'm a little bit bigger and I'm a little more straight acting, I think um, there's a little bit of a competition sometimes um, when I'm in a room with like other 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 straight dudes because you know there's girls in play. Um, and then there's a little bit of tension with the, with, with the women, but the moment I come out and I let them know that I'm gay, the tension switches to the guys and the girls want to be my best friend. And it's kind of like a, it's like a, it's like a safety thing, um, for the girls, I guess. And, um, and then some of the guys sometimes will be like, is he into me? Or some guys who are more like, um, uh, let's say, comfortable with their sexuality won't care and they'll still be your best friend and it doesn't, doesn't matter. So it's, it's weird how the, the competition for girls changes once you come out is I kind of live in both sides, if that makes sense. So I was 130 pounds soaking wet in high school, but I think I even towered over you. I want to guess that you were 120 or, or less. That sounds about right. Now I'm, now I'm just guessing because I can't really gauge your height. You were never a very tall person. I'm guessing you're five seven, but you look close to two hundred pounds. How how tall are you? I'm and one, how much do you... I'm five nine one ninety five. Okay, so you're the so same height as me, yeah. but you, but you're huge, and I'm I'm still high school skinny. God bless it. I can't gain. <laughs> if I do gain weight, it's like man boobs and gut, right? With skinny. Just legs. just yeah. You know, it's it's funny when I when I first decided I was gonna you know come out and be gay to myself and 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 go start dating, and I was still very skinny, and I thought, you know, I don't want to be effeminate anymore. That's how I don't I don't feel that way inside. I I I need to put some bulk on. I'm gonna I'm gonna do the different thing and go to the gym. And I went to the gym and found out that all the gay guys were doing the same exact thing. They were all buff. <laughs> so. Oh, okay, so let me ask let me ask you this then, because I haven't been to the gym since I was in my twenties. Is that kind of a little unknown secret that those big bulky guys, many of them could potentially be gay, or is it maybe definitely more than ten percent or whatever the world guesstimate? Uh, I would say uh, well, there's definitely an unspoken body language um, where you can, I could walk in and, and like, we'll see each other and know. There's also online communities where like, you might see someone you've seen online that you'll see in the gym. Uh, so yeah, I would say probably 10 to 20% of those guys are big, are, are, are gay. And maybe even the really big ones. Most of, you know, my uh, gay friends that I go to the gym with are monsters. Um, you know, they're, they're big. So that's a safe bet. 
Yeah, that is super interesting because I guess, you know, I always, when I was lifting weights, I always saw it almost the same as joining a karate class. I thought, hey, if I can get a little mm. bigger and stronger, maybe you just naturally don't get kind of bullied or, or, or looked down upon in a physical way. I'd imagine that if you're a great way to just make it where nobody even questions your sexuality is just to be the biggest behemoth uh, in the yeah. planet, or at least maybe that's what people think. Um, yeah, I, was, I think that's the, that's a thought. Yeah, I was telling you that when I was uh, 20, uh, somebody in the uh, gym had uh, had asked me if I wanted to go out because, you know, they wanted to get girls and they wanted to, you know, go party and just get a ton of girls. Right. They were just really hyper heterosexual. Come to find out that, you know, here I am 25 years later, I looked them up online. They're gay. And it's mm -hmm. just like, you know, I feel bad because when we were younger, it really is true. People could not be themselves. If you were gay, that was basically suicide mentioning it in high school and, and stuff. Absolutely. So mm -hmm. I haven't been on a high school campus in over two and a half decades, but I'm hoping that things are changing there. Cause I think, yeah. uh, I think if I was gay, I would want to be happy. And I'm hoping that yeah. you as my friend are happy. And if you are happy, absolutely, that makes me feel good. So what, yeah, yeah. What, are, what are your immediate goals for the future? And tell me a little bit about your sister super quick while we have one last minute. Did do you have any nieces or nephews? Did she, is everyone else in the family to your knowledge straight? As far as I know. Yeah. Um, I, uh, um, yeah, I, I don't have any uncles or, or, or aunts or anyone that I know of that that's gay, but who knows? Um, you know, there's a percentage chance either that some, but some of them are, uh, are, you know, who knows? But right now, it's just me um, and my stepdad. So, and a huge yeah. community, though, where once upon a time it might have just been a gay bar or a gay Denny's. Where is that gay Denny's? I, I know I've feed there before. <laughs> Isn't it like Seventh Street and something or another? Where is that gay Denny's? Yeah. We don't know. Tell tell me. You well, know. you call you call it you call it gay Denny's. I think the gays just called it Jenny's, and it's uh, a. <laughs> And it's on Seventh uh, Seventh Street and Camelback, I think. Um, I don't know if that's still a thing. It might be. I don't know. I know. Um, I know yeah. one thing. You. You. The way you even tell a story, I think, is great. Do you have some more stories? And can we count on you to come on Jesse Jameson and Friends again in the future, my friend? Absolutely, it would be my pleasure, sir. That's awesome. Well, listen, we had a great show. Join us again next week, Chris. Thank you so much. You guys all have a great time. We'll see you again next week. Thank you for joining us again for another episode of Jesse Jameson and Friends. We hope you had as much fun as we did. Be sure to tune in again next week for another great story. Jesse Jameson and Friends is heard every Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. Jesse Jameson and Friends is a proud presentation of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. All rights reserved. <laughs>